0: When it comes to wealth, Pastor Xavier Reese says riches have a way of buying more problems than they solve. The sleep of the laboring man is
1: sweet, whether he eats little or much. Now, you're a hard worker, you come home, you sleep. But listen what follows, but the abundance of the riches will not permit him to sleep. You know there's people that can't sleep at night because they're afraid they're going to lose what they have? Solomon tells us in Proverbs 23.5 that riches have wings. (laughs) They're gone. Don't put your trust in
0: that. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. This simple truth from 1 Timothy 6 presents the harsh reality for those who seek happiness through wealth. And coming up, Pastor Xavier presents a study in which he describes some observations made by King Solomon, who, while in pursuit of pleasure in every way under the sun, discovered nothing but a whole bunch of emptiness. Ecclesiastes chapter 2,
1: verse 1 through 11, the message is entitled, The Pursuit of Pleasure. Solomon tells us three things about his experience with pleasure. First of all, Solomon experienced emotional pleasure, verses one through three. Secondly, Solomon experienced physical pleasure, verses four through eight. And then thirdly, Solomon experienced the letdown of pleasure, verses nine through 11. Notice the process and the product. Let's look at the first. Solomon sought to experience emotional pleasure. His purpose was to test by his wisdom the various claims of men under the sun. The man Solomon purposed in his heart by his own personal experience to either affirm or expose the false claims of these things as a fulfillment of life. So you have him going one by one from chapter 2 all the way to chapter 11. All these things that he seeks to find out either true or false as a goal for fulfillment and satisfaction of life. Solomon said, I will test mirth. And the word mirth means gladness, gaiety, or happiness. The problem with happiness is that it is so dependent on external things. The outward circumstance, situations of life. So you're driving out a brand new car. You just love it. it smells good. Mmm, new. Driving out, make it right. Car hits you. Now you're not so happy. (laughs) Your happiness is gone. Very temporal situation, circumstance. A person's happiness apart from God is basically self-centered. You see, Happiness as a goal is foolish. Happiness should be a result, not the goal. And even then, happiness is temporal, even in the Lord, right? That's why we live through the joy of the Lord. It's our strength, not my emotions. Notice thirdly in verse 1 still, his purpose was to test the claims of pleasure. Uh, the word for pleasure uh, means that which is pleasant or agreeable. Uh, The enjoyment of pleasure is not wrong in and of itself again, as God has intended it, for He made us with the ability to sense pleasure and to enjoy it. But the pursuit of pleasure for pleasure's sake, once again, is very limited, and it's the wrong focus. Have you ever been on vacation, and you've been to some of the beautiful places, and then after a while, you just want to go home? You remember the first dish that you really like, oh, oh you know, I'll, I'll eat this all the time, you know, and when you're little, said, man, when I grow up, I'm going to buy me this stuff, you know, then after a while, you say, Ugh, I don't want no more of it. You get tired of the same pleasure, right? Because the law of demands and return is pretty cruel. The more you do it, the less gratification you get. You've got to move on to something else and usually the movement is not upward, it's downward. The king in Jerusalem concluded that pleasure is also vanity and unsatisfying and empty. Now, listen to his words, but surely this also is vanity. Now, notice fourthly in verse 2, his purpose was to test the claims of laughter. Laughter, listen to his words, it is madness. Out of its place, out of its proper context, and apart from God, it's madness. Now, notice fifthly here, verse 3, his purpose was to test the claims of wine. Solomon did not just indulge himself in a drunken stupor. I don't want you to think that. Remember, he's, he's very methodically, uh, intellectually trying to experience these things, okay? He's unwise and foolish for so doing it, but he's not just going on drunks, okay? And he wants to observe it, to be able to verify it, for he says, guiding his heart with wisdom, verse 3 says, okay? But it's foolish to attempt that, right? You're out of control. Solomon drank till he could... Verify if, in fact, it was good for the sons of men under heaven. Solomon did know that indulgence of strong drink was not wise and that it should be given to either a dying person or one who's a bitter of heart, Proverbs 31, six. But notice he knew Proverbs was in his middle years. Ecclesiastes was his older years. He knew, but what he knew didn't help him because he didn't obey it. You can know all you want, but if you're not doing it, you receive the consequences of it. Solomon sought to experience emotional pleasure to be fulfilled, but he was disappointed. It didn't happen. Now, notice, secondly, Solomon sought to experience physical pleasure from verse 4 down to 8. And first, in verse 4, his purpose was to achieve satisfaction through building great works. Now, you thought I was going to talk about sex, right? Physical pleasure comes through a lot of different things. Moving on. Now, Solomon built the temple of God in Jerusalem, 1 Kings 6. Beautiful, beautiful building. Now, David, his father, could not build it because he was a man of war and blood. But yet, David, his father, had accumulated all the materials to build it. As a matter of fact, God gave David the blueprints for it, even as he gave Moses the blueprint for the tabernacle. But it was Solomon who built the temple. He built the house of the forest of Lebanon with luxurious wood and costly stones in 1 Kings 7, 2 through 7. He planted himself vineyards in his houses. Why? Because vineyards supplied the necessary commodities and also vineyards supplied financial income. This man was a genius at building. Maybe Herod would be the only other one comparable to him in the New Testament. Notice also he built houses for Pharaoh's daughter, who he took to wife in 1 Kings 7, 8. Of all daughters, Pharaoh's daughter, Egypt, a type of the world, If you want to get some more of his building endeavors, you can read 1 Kings 9, 15 through 28, a whole list of other building endeavors. The man was a builder. More and more and more. One more. Now notice secondly, verse 5 through 6, that his purpose was to achieve satisfaction through horticulture. So first building, now horticulture. Now the science and art of horticulture is cultivating fruits and vegetables and flowers. This man was a scientist, biologist, a zoologist, a botanist, I mean, a poet, a songwriter, man's incredible. And yet, verse 6 tells us that the endeavor called for efficient forms of irrigation through reservoirs and channels of water to garden his orchards. So the man was a real genius. And yet, in all this, all this did not bring him satisfaction. He thought it would, but it didn't. Now notice Thirdly, in verse 7, his purpose was to achieve satisfaction through slaves and herds. He bought males, female slaves. He had servants born in his house. He had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all those who preceded him in Jerusalem. Let me, let me read you something real quick here. In 1 Kings chapter 4, you're going to blow your mind if you've never read this. You want to uh, read the, uh, the provisions of one day at his table? Uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 22 and 23. It says, Now Solomon's provisions for one day, one day, was 30 cores, or measures, of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fattened calf, 20 oxen from the pasture, 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelle, roebucks, and fattened calf. <laughs> one day. How would you like to fix dinner every day like that? That's just his house. Incredible. He once again did not find satisfaction in life in this. Still one big zero. And notice fourthly, verse 8. He, pur- he purposed to achieve satisfaction through wealth. One more thing. Wealth. He gathered for himself silver and gold. Solomon's gold provisions were astounding. As a matter of fact, in 1 Kings 10, 14 through 21, let me read you this. The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. Besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia, and from the governors of the country. Not bad, huh? He says, and the king of Solomon made two hundred and large shields of hammered gold. Six hundred shields of gold went into each shield. And also he made three hundred shields of hammered gold. There are three minas of gold went into each shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made great thrones of ivory and overlaid them with gold. Can you imagine ivory and then you overlay it with gold? The throne has six steps. And it goes on to describe the lions on the side and the steps and so on and so forth. And verse 21 says, And all the king's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the fours of Lebanon were of pure gold. Not one was of silver, for this was according to nothing in the days of Solomon. <laughs> you know, come over and say, Oh, you got silver? Yeah, it's nothing. I got gold. And he said, Vanity, vanity, vexation of spirit. This man had everything, everything. And he's telling you emptiness. Apart from God. Apart from these things of God, it's emptiness. Absolutely. Now, some of you have been out there in the world and you know. You live for the world. You had your boat. You had this. You had that. And it was all something else. But there's still that emptiness, right? Now, there's nothing wrong in and of those things themselves. But the pursuit and that that's where you find it, it's not where it's at. The me generation that began as hippies and turned out to be yuppies cannot seem to handle the confusion and the consequences of their pursuit for fulfillment and satisfaction in life. Do you realize that suicide is a national epidemic in teens? Making it the number two killer, second in in, in accidents of 15 to 19-year-olds? This is what our society is producing. Now, do you think people are satisfied? I don't think so. You see, what what we proclaim to be freedom and liberty and satisfaction is is turning on us. We've sown to the wind. We have reaped the whirlwind. It's not what we make it out to be, is it? Even as Rockefeller, they asked him, how much money is enough? He said, just a little more. Now, don't walk out of here saying, Xavier says, you can't work, you can't do this. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking as a goal. You need to be responsible. You know how Solomon feels about lazy people. Read the Proverbs. He hates them. He describes one as saying, oh, I can't go out. There's a line in the road. Then another one, he turns on his bed like, like a hinge. You know, lazy people. Let me tell you, as Christians, we're to be productive, we should work. That as we work, we can give. We should be the greatest workers on the earth, whatever you're at. The thought of losing what one has doesn't allow him to sleep. Solomon says, Ecclesiastes 5.12. Listen to him. That's great. Uh, the sleep of the laboring man is sweet, whether he's little or much. Now, you're a hard worker, you come home, you sleep. But listen to what follows. But the abundance of the riches will not permit him to sleep. Whoa. You know there's people that can't sleep at night because they're afraid they're going to lose what they have? Later on, Solomon tells us in Proverbs 23, 5 that riches have wings. (laughs) They're gone. Hard come, easy go. Don't put your trust in that. Solomon sought to experience physical pleasure to be fulfilled. But once again, he's disappointed greatly. Now, Solomon sought to express the letdown of his pleasure. The letdown of pleasure in verses 9 through 11. This is his bottom line. This is the conclusion. Notice first in verse 9, he excelled all past kings. His administration is impressive. If you want to look at it, you can look at it in 1 Kings 4, 1 through 19. He surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom, 1 Kings 10, 23 says. He was told by the Queen of Sheba that she had heard of his wisdom in her land and that she did not believe it. But when she came, indeed, the half was not told me. 1 Kings 10 6 7. It was sort of just unbelievable. Notice, secondly, in verse 10, he restrained himself from nothing. He was king, no one could hinder him. He was the wisest, who would oppose him? He was the wealthiest. Who would deny him? He returned to Egypt, and he multiplied horses in direct disobedience to God's command in Deuteronomy 17, 16. The king was not to multiply horses because horses equated military power. God says, I want you to depend upon me, not your horses. That's why David got in trouble when he sent Joab to number the troops. Some chosen in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God, Psalm 20. He multiplied wives to himself in disobedience to God, Deuteronomy 17, 17. One wife, one husband. He did not pay heed to the book which he was to take and write of his own hand from the priest. And he was due for the purpose of not lifting himself above his brethren, not to turn from the commandment, and to prolong the days of his kingdom. Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. Solomon knew all this, but he did not do it. You may know the truth of the Word of God, but if you are not doing it, you will receive the consequences of your decision. Do not say that God is pleased with your life, or don't think that God has approval over your life just because He hasn't wiped you out or something. Be patient, He'll get to you. Honest. He's in no hurry. Notice, thirdly, in verse 11. He recognized he was still unsatisfied in view of all he experienced. The works he did failed to bring satisfaction or true fulfillment. Notice the works were done by his own personal hand. He did it. The toil and labor he expended was a waste of time. The conclusion was threefold. Don't miss it. First, these things were all vanity now remember the context in and of themselves as a pursuit for fulfillment and satisfaction right that's how he's coming across they did not fill the void of his life he was still empty secondly these things were like grasping for the wind that's a good description they promised so much yet at the end there was a longing for more, like the wind that you cannot grab a hold of. Unreachable. And thirdly, these things have no eternal profit under the sun. Nothing that a man or a woman does on this earth is of any value for eternity unless it is done for Jesus and directed by Jesus. It may help you here, but it won't help you there. Absolutely not. Allow me to give you some statistics that were presented on Channel 7 on July 30th of 1986 on a special call after the Sexual Revolution, which was basically a look at the social and economic changes that have affected the family and the consequences of the last 30 years of sewing, which meant it went back from 86, 76, 66, 56, from 56 to 86. This was secular, this was not Christian. The opening statement by a woman was illuminating. Listen to her, quote, The greatest of gifts is freedom of self-expression. My personal life has taken a shape that I gave it, and I like it because I chose it. That means that you are a constant innovator of yourself. That is an enormous freedom, end of quote. From 86 back to 56, women have entered the largest numbers of workforce they observed. In 1973, the movement exploded. By 1986, seven of ten women were working to support the family in order to survive. 63% of couples were bringing home two incomes, and the number was rising dramatically. In 1990, 56% of women work outside the home. One woman stated, "Quote: The family has to play a secondary role." Let me repeat that. The family has to take a secondary role. I wonder if she still feels the same. I don't think so. Now, where's the good life we're being told about? The children? They're the casualties. Be around when a father disappoints a son from taking him out that weekend because they're divorced. Be around the hassles of a second or third marriage with blended children and different arrangements. One of the greatest advantages we have in the church is that each of us can help those who are seeking to excel for the mere purpose of finding fulfillment in life by telling them of the lie. Some of you reach very successful careers in the world's eyes, and now you're in Christ, and you can... Tell people firsthand of the emptiness. That's the community of God. We can help one another. We can tell the truth. We don't play games like we do in the world. This is a great benefit to both the young and to the young married because there's such a push for young marries to want everything all at once. Listen, everything comes in its time. Take the time to be with your children rather than to have the second car. Take the time to be with your children and spend that time rather than to have whatever extra. I guarantee you after 20 years, you will never regret it. But if you don't, you will regret it after 20 years. I guarantee you. And let me tell you, those 20 years go by too quickly. Another benefit that we have in the church is that those who have come out of the world having never restrained themselves in the physical pleasure can dispel the exaggerations, the destruction, and the lies. We can help those. I proclaim the gospel message. I proclaim the standard of the scriptures. Not because I lived them out. I was lost. But God help me if I water them down because I never met them. I better warn the young people and I better warn young marriage and I better be there to encourage them and to give them the truth. That's important. We should be telling the truth to young people about the... Pain and problems of sexual promiscuity before marriage. It's not all it's cracked up to be. Telling the truth about the heartache of lasting consequence that never will go away. You have to live with them. Telling the truth about divorce and the problems that it brings in a second marriage or a third marriage, and if it's not resolved and if you're not the innocent party, it brings baggage, right? It brings problems. One last benefit that we can all benefit from is by telling people about the blessing of having walked with Jesus. We know more than ever before how empty and unsatisfied find the world is, having walked with Jesus. Oh, that's the greatest testimony. I can tell you exactly what it is to walk with Jesus. You understand me? The emotional pleasures that we experience as happiness and laughter in this life are acknowledged. But they are not the measure of the fulfillment of my life. The benefit of physical pleasure are those allowed by God in their proper place. And they're okay, but they're not the pursuit to fulfill my life. I mean, I think for God to give me a wife and for me to be able to enjoy her all the days of my life is what a privilege. But it's a very small portion of my life in comparison to all of life. But it has its place. What a bag of goods the world has sold us. Solomon sought to express the letdown of pleasure to be fulfilled. Are you being truthful about the emptiness of pleasure? Or are you still propagating that false lie? I hope not. Do you realize that the average household spends more money on entertainment? Than it does on clothing, health care, furniture, and gasoline. We have become a pleasure mania society and we are experiencing the same as Solomon. Solomon experienced emotional pleasure, but he was unsatisfied. Solomon experienced physical pleasure, but he was unsatisfied. Solomon experienced the letdown of pleasure and he declared it. How about you? Great counsel. What a blessing,
0: what an encouragement, what a benefit it is for us. Pastor Xavier Reese imparting the wisdom of King Solomon with a warning of the dangers in pursuing happiness in the wrong way. Hear this program again at the radio listings link by logging on to calvarychapelpasadena.com. And today's study, drawn from a series of Solomon's writings in the book of Ecclesiastes, is titled... The Pursuit of Pleasure, and is also available on CD for just $4. Everything we shared last time will be included as well, so it makes a convenient way to study the message more in depth at your own pace. So the title to ask for once more is The Pursuit of Pleasure, or simply mention today's date. Request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107 or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us monitor the effectiveness of our broadcast ministry. What good can come out of bad? Well, for starters, Scripture says tribulation produces patience. Patience brings perseverance. Perseverance develops character, and character fosters hope. Join us for more simple truths on the pursuit of pleasure next time with Pastor Xavier Rees.